Good morning. Let me pray for us and we will begin. Father, uh, this whole semester we're walking through things that are essential to our lives as followers of your son, uh, essential of what it means to have the spirit indwelling within us, to bear the fruit of the spirit, what it means to be your adopted sons and daughters. And so we pray as we have prayed uh, that we would be a people of prayer, would be people who fast and who rest and who study the Bible and read the Bible and memorize the scriptures. I pray that today as we look at community, that your spirit would do something here in this church that would be quite simply miraculous, uh, that uh, it would be a witness of who your Savior is. It would be a community that looks peculiar to the world because it is only created by uh, the miraculous work of God. And so I pray that uh, the biblical truth of community would settle in our hearts, that we would reject all false notions that maybe come from our society or maybe come from our Christian society, our upbringing or anything like that, and see actually the rich truth of your heart for community, and that would change us. It would change the nature of this church and how we relate to one another. So I pray that you would do that. Your spirit would change our hearts as we just take a quick overview of community. We pray in your son's holy name. Amen. So uh, we've been walking through this semester of applied theology uh, as we walk through specifically spiritual disciplines thus far, fasting, prayer, studying the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures and things like that. Today we're going to look at community that's not necessarily a spiritual discipline itself but more kind of the context that all the spiritual disciplines play out in. So we're going to look at this. Why should we take a whole lesson to specifically look at community? Quite simply, the society that you live in and I live in is one of kind of the heyday of expressive individualism. No one can tell me what to do. Nobody can tell me truth. Nobody can define me except myself. I do what I want. I define who I am. I define truth. That's the heyday that we live in. And I know right now you're thinking, I know, our crazy, non-Christian, God-drifting society, Protestant evangelicals, us, are the worst at this. We are the worst at this. If we, you know, if a church that we join gets in our business, we leave and we go to the next one, right? Nobody can tell me where I'm sinning and where I need to repent, right? We have this exact same spirit within us. And so we need a biblical understanding, or perhaps I should say God's understanding of community. So today, quite simply, we're just going to look at, we're going to kind of do three things. One, a biblical overview of community, a 10,000-foot view of community. Then we're going to zoom in and look specifically at the purpose of community and then get real practical right at the end and just encourage you, how can you foster this? How can you kind of create or perhaps get involved in community? So let's look at this first, biblical overview of community. You read the first chapter of the scriptures, the first chapter of Genesis, you see God creating everything Light, darkness, separating the light from the darkness, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sea, the land, filling the sea with fish, filling the sky with birds. And what's the refrain? After every single thing that he creates, what do we see? It was good. It was good. And we even see a summary statement right at the end of chapter 1 that it's very good. What's the first thing? Pre-sin, so before sin enters and breaks a whole bunch of stuff, what's the first thing that we see? The only thing that we see that's not good. Man is alone. Isolation is the first thing in God's perfect creation that is not 
good, which shows us community is not a fix for sin. It's not a solution to sin getting in and break everything. Rather, it's something that predates sin that is actually flowing from the very heart of our God, who, as we'll see in just a second, is the eternal Trinitarian community. The Father, the Son, the Spirit have from eternity past been sharing in beautiful, glorious, loving fellowship with one another. So community isn't just something that's on the other side of sin, fixing stuff that was broken, but rather is something that's flowing from the very heart of our God. We'll look at that more in a second when we see Jesus praying in the upper room. But we know doesn't get very far. Genesis 3, sin and death enter into creation, break everything. And one of the primary things that's fractured is community. Adam and Eve no longer dwelling in perfect harmony, naked with one another. They're fleeing. They're covering themselves. What does Adam say? Why did you eat of the fruit? God asks Adam. That woman you gave me is why, right? Turning on each other. No longer beautiful unity. One of the explicit curses in Genesis 3.16 that is given to Eve is your desire will be for your husband, contrary to your husband, and he will rule over you. No longer do we have this beautiful, harmonious design for marriage with men, Adam leading and Eve coming alongside as the helpmate in perfect unity, complimenting one another. Rather, you see, rather than submission, woman's desire will be contrary to her husband and the response to that will be sinful, evil oppression from men. Absolute fracturing of this community. And the story keeps going, what happens with the first brothers? That community didn't go well, right? Cain kills Abel. So one of the things that sin does is fractures what is central to humanity's flourishing, okay, community. But we see as the story goes, God is not done with community. Rather, he launches out on this redemption plan specifically through community, calls Abraham, promises you're going to have tons of kids and a nation will come from you, right? A community will come from you. And what is the blessing that's promised? All the other nations, all the other communities will be blessed through you. We see the nation, the community of Israel, who's meant to be a kingdom of priests, a nation of priests between God and the rest of the world, kind of as Adam was meant to be reigning and ruling as a representative of God, made in his image. Israel now is the nation, is the community that all the other nations are meant to look at and say, who is your God? Why do you look so different? We want to come and worship him as well. And in fact, that is the exact promise the prophets point to. One day, there will come a perfect kingdom of God, and all the nations will stream into this beautiful kingdom, community of justice and righteousness and peace, and they will uh, sit under the reign of Yahweh, where he reigns eternally as king. Again, this is the picture as the prophets point towards ultimate redemption. It's all the nations coming over, streaming into the very kingdom of God under his perfect reign and rule as king. So we see community isn't only central to his heart in creation, rather it's also central to his plan of redemption. We see ultimately as Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, comes down, is incarnate, takes on flesh. He doesn't just He does everything by himself, kind of, but he doesn't do it in isolation. What does he do? He calls a community, calls the 12. We know there's a lot more. He sends out 72 at one point, which means 72 at least were following him. We know the Marys and the Marthas are following him as well, right? He has a community that he's calling, right? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Come to me, right? If you're weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Come join this community, and this community 
isn't, you just join kind of like a country club where you fill out the paperwork and you get the card. It's not even like joining Israel where you would be circumcised and you follow the law and then you're in. Rather, in this community, if you want to join this community, the community of Jesus, you must be born again. You must be made new. You must be completely transformed. You must lay down your life in order to find true life. And really what we see is when you're brought into this community, Jesus will later tell his disciples, well, you're ultimately being brought into what you're sharing in, what the fellowship that you're being brought into is the divine community. What was God doing before creation? You ever thought about that? Jesus actually tells us in John 17, 24, Jesus praying to the Father, the high priestly prayer in John 17, Father, I desire that they also, talking about the disciples, whom you have given me may be with me that where, where I am to see my glory that you have given me because, notice this, you loved me before the foundation of the world. What is the Father doing before creation? Pouring out his love on the Son. What is the Son doing before creation? John 14, 31, pouring out his love to the Father, eternally happening before let there be light. Right? That's what the Father, Son, and Spirit have been doing for all of eternity. And when you are adopted into the family of God, you no longer call God God, you call him Abba, Father. When you're adopted into that family, you're brought in to share in that fellowship, to share in that love. John 17, 23. I in them, again, this is Jesus praying to the Father, I in them, you in me, that they may also, or may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. That is Jesus saying, the Father's love that is poured out on the Son, his eternal Son for all eternity, is poured out on you when you are adopted into his family. You want something to meditate on for the rest of your life? Sit in John 17 and listen to your Savior's words, what you've been brought into as adopted children of the living God. The Father, the same love he pours out on his son, he now pours out on you. You're in Christ. You've been adopted as a son and a daughter, but it doesn't stop there. Now your love, so he poured out on you, pours out on one another. Greatest commandment, love God. The second is like it, love one another. Look at uh, John 15. Jesus tells, first of all, in in, in verse 9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. And then immediately after that we see this. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved. Loved you. You see that kind of progression. Father pours out his love on the son. Son comes down, pours out his love on you, and it pours out from you to each other. Right? The love between us as a Christian community is so much greater than just being friendly and having superficial small talk conversations and then worshiping together and then going home. You see the depth here that Jesus is talking about. The love the Father has for the Son, He has for you. We pour it out on one another. John 17, 26, Jesus again praying to the Father, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which, with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. You see that. When you join this community, this Christian community, the love that is meant to be poured out on one another is the love, the Trinitarian love of the Father to the Son, the Son to the Father, and the Spirit that they've been sharing in for all of eternity. We see, secondly, what Jesus has done is all that brokenness that sin enters in in Genesis 3, fracturing community, he completely heals. Look at Ephesians 2, 11 through 21. I'm going to read this whole thing. 
This is right after, by nature, children of wrath, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive. By grace, you've been saved. Right after that beautiful verse we often quote, immediately following is this. Remember that you were at... uh, at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached to those who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, because of this unthinkable reality that Jesus has done, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Spirit. All the brokenness, all the hostility, all the fracturing that sin brings in and breaks community, Christ heals. No longer aliens and strangers, but fellow citizens, members of the household of God, brothers and sisters of the Father, adopted into the very family of God. He has completely healed all the hostility that sin breaks. And we see as Jesus goes to the cross, dies, is buried, is resurrected, victorious, he now gives this Christian church community the mission of going, making disciples of all nations. Go out, bring them into this fold, bring them into this community. And we see as Christ ascends, the Spirit descends in Acts as we get the story of the church first spreading from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. We see the gospel being preached, the spirit changing hearts, sinners being forgiven, adopted, and brought in. And I have for you in your notes there one of the several summaries that Acts gives us of what does it look like as forgiven sinners are being brought into the fold, and you see there everything in common, devoting themselves to prayer and teaching in the word and fellowship, breaking bread, and the Lord continuing to add to their numbers day by day. Right? That's the mission of the church now as we await his second coming. And the church now, uh, Jonathan Lehman says, functions kind of as an embassy of the future kingdom of God. We're in this already not yet period where the victory has been brought by Christ. He's gone to the cross. He's defeated death. Yet we're still waiting for the ultimate victory, for his enemies to be cleared away, the dwelling place of God to be with man. And so now, while we await still that future kingdom of God as the nations stream in and and, uh, are ruled in this perfect, righteous, just community under the reign of Yahweh, under the reign of our true king, we are kind of little embassies of that future kingdom of God, where love reigns supreme, where we forgive rather than take vengeance on our enemies, where we're humble, where we care for one another and bear one another's burdens. And then lastly, we see one day he will return and we will be brought into the eternal community. Revelation 7, 9 through 10. 
After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How does the story end in the scriptures? Really, how does it begin for us in eternity? Behold, the dwelling place of God will be with man. We are brought in as sons and daughters. Every effect of sin is wiped away. Every tear is wiped away. And we have eternal fellowship with the Father, the Son, the Spirit, and with one another forever. The last picture the Bible gives us is one of eternal, glorious community. So, Hopefully, just this two-second, by two-second, I mean 16-minute overview of the Scriptures will show how absolutely central community is to the heart of God, to his plan of redemption, and how contrary it is to the kind of Lone Ranger Christianity that is kind of the norm where we live. Absolutely central to the heart of God, to the message of the Scriptures, to his plan of redemption. And so I want to zoom in a little bit and show what is the purpose of community. Why has he structured it this way? Why are we meant to do all these different things? We've seen God's heart in the scriptures, so let's zoom in. What is the actual purpose of community? All throughout the New Testament, especially in the epistles, you'll see, you know, Paul will give, like in Ephesians or Galatians, the theology, what all Christ has done, how he's brought us in, all these different things, and then he gives a whole bunch of practical application, right? You'll see right around that six chapters. Right at the end of chapter 3, you'll get, therefore, do all this stuff. Okay, over and over again, we see that. Here's a a sample in Colossians 3, 12 through 16. Notice how packed this is with application. Put on then, he's given all the theology, all the things Christ has done. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving, or forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so, also, so you also must forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing songs and or psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Notice there's like 30 things packed in there, right? Forgiving one another, bear with one another, love one another, teach one another, admonish one another, all these different things. We have that scattered all throughout uh, the New Testament. So I, I kind of, I've categorized these, this is an exhaustive list, but I put six kind of buckets here for the purposes of community that I think fills, maybe not all of them, but a lot of these kind of New Testament commands. So, number one, Christian community is meant to reflect our Savior. By this, everyone, all people will know you are my disciples. By your great charity and your service, no. By your love of God, no. By your love for one another. The primary mark of our community is meant to reflect the Savior that we've been brought into. We're meant to love one another in such a way that the outside world would look in and say, those must be Jesus' people because of our continued love for one another. And it's meant to be so obvious because it is so countercultural. Rather than selfish, it's selfless because we follow a Savior who didn't come to be served but to serve and to give his life. 
when we are wounded, when we're hurt or whatever, we forgive. When someone else has a burden, we don't say, well, too bad for them. I'm doing great. We go meet that burden. We, we sacrifice our own lives so that they might be built back up. When someone else is walking in sin, we go after and say, this is not good for you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to pull this out of you so that you might be not be walking towards the cliff of death, but towards life. Your love for one another, your unity for one another is meant to reflect your Savior. Also because only Jesus, only Jesus could bring such a community together. You ever notice how he takes Matthew, a tax collector, right, a betrayer of his people and a servant of Rome that all the Jews would have hated, and a zealot whose life would have been dedicated to murdering such betrayers, and he says, here's two of the 12, right? I, I bet they didn't see eye to eye on a lot of things, but our community is meant to display the power of our Savior. Only Jesus can bring together such groups that would have nothing else in common, right? Our, uh, the mark of our community isn't our shared interests, or I guess the shared interests of Jesus, but it's not, you know, we're a bunch of whatever, middle class, whoever. The beauty of the diversity of the body isn't what our culture says, which is just diversity for diversity's sake, but the fact that people of so many different generations, so many different ethnicities, both genders, different social classes could all be brought in under the lordship of Jesus Christ because he's broken down every dividing wall of hostility. Again, you're meant to be peculiar. How can this person and this person be so close? And the only answer is because they worship the same God. They've both been transformed. They've both been made new and brought into this community. That's number one and primary. We reflect our Savior. That's the purpose. Number two, the Christian community builds up fellow believers, fellow brothers and sisters, and pointing them to Christ with our concerns that they might be conformed to the image of Christ. There's around a hundred or so one another's each other's in the scriptures. We're not going to go through all of them. You're welcome. But I've included a lot of them uh, on your handout in the back. That's a, from Tim Chalice's blog, if you know him. There's a lot of them just to give you a sense of all these commands. We'll just go through a couple. 1 Thessalonians 5.11, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up. Again, probably something so simple you'd breeze over it. Yeah, encouragement, we got that. Let me just say from personal experience, there have been few things over the past five months I have cherished and praised God for more than your encouragement to me. Stepping in as an elder after Zach resigned, there have been so many times where I'm sure you just think, oh, I'm just sending Jared a nice random encouraging note. He might just skim this and delete it. He might reply, thanks. Over and over and over and over again, as some lie is being whispered into my ear by the enemy, I'm close to believing it, maybe, or at least close to dwelling on it, I get an email. And God perfectly, providentially, through encouragement, shuts the mouth of the enemy. I praise God, and I keep going. Again, don't breeze by because this is one of a hundred. Encourage one another. Your job in being brought into this body is to encourage one another. When you see someone cast down, that's on you to go lift them up, right? That's the purpose of being brought in. Always encourage people. Hebrews 10, I love this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up, for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. 
And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean of evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. That's all what Jesus has done. Torn the curtain. We no longer tremble at the bottom of Mount Sinai before holy God asking Moses to go up for us. The curtain has been torn. We approach God as our Father with confidence. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing nearer. Because of what Jesus has done, let us consider how to stir one another up towards love. Do you go home and think, how do I get that person at the end of my road to love Jesus more? Do you consider, do you take time to think, how do I make sure everyone around me sees the beauty of the gospel, that no lies are being believed here, no one's cast down because they're whispering or listening to the lies of the enemy saying that you are condemned? How do we get them to believe? Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you think about that when you look at people in the lobby and in the rows and all that, or you just think, man, that kid's loud. I wish they would take him out. I can't really hear what Jeff is saying. I wish they'd be a good parent, right? Let us consider how to stir one another up towards love. That's the second purpose. Again, the goal, how do we get people to look more like Jesus? Not by our our power, but by pointing them back to the gospel. You've been brought into this community to be surrounded by people that want you to look more like Jesus. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, here's a quote here. He wrote an excellent book called Life Together. Uh, I would recommend he says this, God does not will that we should fashion the other person according to the image that seems good to me, that is, in my own image, rather, in his very freedom from me, God made this person in his image. To me, the sight may seem strange, even ungodly, but God created every man in the likeness of his son, the crucified. After all, even that image certainly looked strange and ungodly to me before I grasped it. Your goal isn't to get everybody to be as cool as you. It's to get them to look more like Jesus. That's number two. Number two. Number three, uh, Christian community. One of the purposes behind Christian community is that we care for one another. I know that's generic. I didn't know what other word to use. To bear one another's burdens. I have all these verses listed here. Outdo one another in love. Care for one another. Let there be no division in the body. Serve one another. Consider others better than yourselves, Philippians 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6 2. Show hospitality to one another. Invite one another into your homes and feed them and get to know them. Remember, you are not members of the same club with you know, shared resources. You are members of the same eternal family. And you have been joined together and you will spend eternity together. So you might as well start now, right? Get to know them now. Cut out some time in the new heavens and the new earth. Right? You are meant to care for one another. When there's a need, you meet it. You, you lay down your life because, again, we reflect a Savior who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life. Number four, Christian community is a place where sin comes to die. Christian community kills sin. First of all, it's a place where we can confess our sin, can repent, and can actually walk in the freedom of forgiveness. James 5, 16. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be 
healed. 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is a place, a safe place, where you can confess your sin, repent, and sprint back to a merciful God. And it's a safe place specifically because who you're confessing your sin to are also sinners saved by grace who better dare not judge you lest they forget who they are. It's a safe place where we can forgive or lay down our sin, confess it, repent of it, and walk in the freedom of forgiveness. Secondly, it's a place where fellow Christians are focused on getting sin out of your heart, finding it, uprooting it, stomping it out. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself lest you, lest you too be tempted. One of our roles in the lives of our brothers and sisters is watching out for their soul, watching out for sin that they may be creeping into. Notice every time sin is described, it's not this obvious thing, right? It's deceitful. The devil appears as an angel of light. So do his false teachers, right? It looks good. It looks enticing. And one of the reasons why God surrounds us with fellow brothers and sisters is it might not look as enticing to them as it does to you. They might be a little bit more sober than you, and it's their job to rip it out of your heart, which is painful. I don't know, I mean, if I were to do whichever was more, I think every church discipline case that I've done uh, or witnessed happening, that person, very rarely are they like, thank you, I know I'm deep in this sin, thank you for ripping it out of my heart. No, it's often, who do you think you are that you could judge me this way, right? It's painful. The person probably doesn't appreciate it. It is the most loving thing you could do for them. It is the most loving thing. They're not seeing clearly you are. It may be painful, but again, it is most loving. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, again, nothing can be more cruel than the tenderness that consigns another to their sin. Nothing is more cruel than saying, you know what, who am I to tell them how to live? Who am I to tell that, you know, I, you know, I don't want to judge them. I guess only God's their judge. Yeah, keep reading. Nothing can be more uh, compassionate than the severe rebuke that calls a brother back from the path of sin. It is a ministry of mercy and ult- uh, an ultimate offer of genuine fellowship when we allow nothing but God's word to stand between us then it is not we who are judging. God alone judges, and God's judgment is helpful and healing. When someone says to you, God is my judge, not you, you should respond, I know, and that should terrify you. I'm calling you away from his judgment to his mercy. It is genuine fellowship that allows God's word to stand in between. You don't rebuke people for preferences. You don't rebuke people for things that aren't sin, but where there is sin, out of an act of love, you do what is most loving and you call them back to God's word. Number five, Christian community is a witness to a lost world. Again, because we reflect our Savior, this community, by the very nature of just being this community, is a witness to the lost world. Look again at John 17. Jesus praying to the Father, I do not ask for these only, 
but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. There it is again, being brought into the divine community. Look at this. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Your unity, your love that reflects your Savior is a witness to the reality that the Father has sent him and that he has brought salvation by his blood. The early church before Christian Rome were viewed as these just like really weird, super countercultural people because people from all sort of different social statuses that would have never dared speak with one another were now gathering together for hours and hours and worshiping God. But the outside world saying, why is that person meddling with that person? When someone didn't want their child, whether uh, deformed or whatever the reason, they'd go outside and cast it outside the city to die. Christians would go take that baby and clean it off and adopt it into their home. They were known for adoption. When someone was sick and the rest of society said, I don't want to touch that person to get sick, they flooded in, most of them at the cost of their own lives, and cared for that person. They looked different because they looked like their savior. And there was no more powerful witness to the church in the first and second century than this. Why is it so vital that when something frustrates you, that when a pastor tweets something you don't like, you don't, you know, declare him woke and cancel him? Because, first of all, when you do that, you look exactly like the cancel culture you're supposed to be against. Secondly, you are astronomically far away from loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute you. You don't look like someone who believes to the depth of his being, take heart, my Savior has overcome the world, and I'm walking with a peace that surpasses all understanding, when you're just as cynical, you're just as angry as the rest of the world. They've got that. You're offering them what they already have. And unless you offer them a peace that looks peculiar, you're not witnessing, you're not reflecting a Savior that looks different. You see that? Eric Raymond, who's a pastor right outside of Boston, says this, Why is Christian community so compelling? Ironically, it's compelling because it's not from here. God builds it, and it looks quite different from anything the world could build. It should look peculiar. In the most anxious age in recent memory, maybe ever, do you have a peace that the world should crave? Or are you just as anxious and just as fearful as everybody else in the world? It is a witness. We are meant to be a witness to a lost world. Number six, Christian community gives us a taste of the eternal community. Again, Revelation 7, church, this Parkway Church is meant to be a place where God is worshipped, love for one another reigns supreme, humility reigns over pride and self-righteousness, care and service are our first impulses, sin is banished as it will be in eternity. You are meant to get a taste. Of course, we're still sinners saved by grace, but we are meant to get a taste of the eternal community that we will all one day share in. Tim Chalice says this, Church, when done the way God intends, gives us just a taste of the perfect community we will experience in paradise. That's six buckets. There's certainly more, many things that I just uh, breezed over, but just six buckets of what is the purpose? What are we meant to do? Reflect our Savior to a lost and dying world, being attractive by the nature of our love and our unity for one another, banishing sin, all those different things. So, lastly, 
practical. I might actually have time for questions. I mean, I'm just, every time, just cutting more stuff. Okay, practical community. This may seem very simple, but sometimes that's, that's really helpful. Uh, let me encourage you first. I actually think this is where Parkway exceeds. I usually don't say things like that because I don't love cheap flattery. That's not what I'm doing. I actually think uh, the community of Parkway is, is, is the way that we exceed, not because necessarily, you know, your pastors are so awesomely teaching you how to do this. I just think this is flowing out of your guys' hearts. So I want to say, if you're already doing this, keep doing it. And if you're not, jump in. Here's a couple ways uh, practically how to foster community. We have one formal way, community groups, and then a whole bunch of informal ways I'll talk about, or perhaps I should just say normal ways of doing community. But first, so community groups. We have community groups here. Every evangelical church basically will have home groups, community groups, life groups, missional communities. It's all the same thing. Uh, And big bigger churches, kind of the norm here, mega churches, it's where discipleship primarily happens because that's what must happen. There's too many people for, you know, the pastors to know, and there's so many people that you typically get lost in the crowd, and so they, you always have to funnel people towards community groups, and that's where all the resources will be poured in for discipleship. Most of them you have to be in a group to even be a member of the church. That's not necessarily how uh, groups function at Parkway. I don't say this to say Here's what other churches do, and here's how we awesomely, you know, perfectly do it. If only we would have been around when Jesus was around and we would have just shown everyone how to kill church. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, I'm saying it's just different for our context. Community groups here function a little bit more like training wheels. We want our community groups to say, this is what it looks like to just be a normal Christian, uh, knowing people, fellowshipping with one another. I know that's an overused word, but just actually getting to know people, confessing your sins to one another, praying with one another, studying the scriptures with one another, as you should just kind of be doing all the time. Okay, so our, our goal, again, is just what is normal for Christians to be happening. So if you want to get plugged in, that's a place to uh, go and look. But the hope, again, would be this is just what it looks like all the time. We have people that come to us and say, I have these people that I'm involved with, these people that I confess my sins to, and these people that I pray with. Do I need to be in a community group? And we just typically say no, because you're already doing what community groups are meant to foster. Does that make sense? Okay, so that's our formal way, uh, a great way to get plugged in and just kind of, again, show you what does it look like to be in community as a Christian and then informal, or again, perhaps I should say normal Uh, ways of community. Uh, I've got several listed here. So uh, the majority of community happens informally, whether you're in a group or not. One of the biggest negatives of just where we live in the Bible Belt is this expectation that church kind of does everything for you. Uh, And so we typically say, like, if we had an evangelism evening, that's a good thing. That's fine. But typically what that does is teaches you, I do evangelism one night a year when I gather together the church and go knock on doors and everyone thinks we're Mormons and we have to tell them we're not uh, and that kind of thing. What we would rather do is just you love your Savior so much that you want to tell all your neighbors about him and you want to tell your waiter about him and all these different things, right? Preview for our evangelism talk in a few weeks. You see the difference between those two? One is formal, a program created by the church, not a bad thing, but probably better, something that is just 
overflowing from your heart. And so it's kind of the same with community. We have the program, but we would rather uh, this just be kind of a normal impulse for you to get to know the people around you and that you would be intentional. That's typically the key is just being intentional with relationships. So how do we get involved in informal type community? Number one, this sounds really simple, but again, sometimes that's helpful. Be intentional to meet and get to know the people who are physically around you. (laughs) At the end of service, turn around and start talking. I know for us introverts, it's hard sometimes. Just pick one a month. One person a month I'm going to talk to, okay? And then actually get to know them. Perhaps exchange numbers. Perhaps ask them to lunch. Starwood is right down the road. You've probably eaten there with me and Jeff hundreds of times by now, right? Actually get to know them. Maybe have them over to your house, hear their story. How do they become a Christian? What's their favorite thing about God and the gospel? What's this thing God's uniquely highlighted in their heart, right? You can ask them their favorite sports team. That's fine. But, again, just be intentional to go a little bit deeper. Uh, Carl and I, I'll give this example. Carl and I probably could not be more different. I like sports. He likes opera uh, and things like that. Uh, So... If I'm, I mean, he's one of my favorite people in the world. Imagine that wasn't reality and I was meeting him. I could find out he likes Hamilton and I could say, cool, and move on. Or I could say, let me be intentional. This is something that he likes. I don't know anything about it. What do you like about it? And he can explain the pageantry. I don't even know how to, how to frame it, right? Uh, but all of a sudden, I'm actually getting to see here is a person, not just a person that, let me see if I have uh, our personalities mesh, but now I'm seeing someone created in the image of God, uniquely wired with passions, with, with hopes and things that he thinks is beautiful that I just literally don't even think about. And all of a sudden, I can actually go deeper. And this is a complex person redeemed by the spirit of the living God, (laughs) right? Brought out of the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved son like I have been. And now we can actually because I haven't just brushed by, oh, I guess we don't have things in common. I can be intentional to think about how has God connected us? Oh, yeah, through the blood of his son. We're going to spend eternity together. Do that, right? Again, we're not, we're, what, what unites us is the gospel, not just ways where our lives kind of intersect. Do you see that? So be intentional just getting to know the people around you. Make a schedule if you need to, you know, one lunch with someone every month or something like that. Number two. Be intentional to gather together and point one another to Jesus. Just be intentional to get together and do spiritual disciplines, reading books together, praying together, fasting together, fellowshipping together, singing, right, evangelizing, serving, any sort of things, kind of everything we're walking through this whole semester. Just get some people together and do it. And again, I hear things all the time that I have no hand in and no one in the elder room has any hand in or any staff has any hand in of you guys just doing this, right? Book clubs that are reading great books and discussing them, people getting together just to pray. I heard of a group of moms who typically get together and do play dates, and now they're going to just read an article beforehand so they have something intentional to talk about, right? All this stuff. That makes me so happy because 0% of those, I've said, hey, you know what would be awesome in Christian? Go do stuff like this. Okay, good. I'm a good pastor. You're just doing it because the Spirit dwells in your heart and is stirring these things up. Okay? So keep doing things like that. Just think about what do I like to do? What am I passionate about? And ask others if they want to as well. Do you like steak and singing songs? 
then grill out and have some guys over and sing 10 hymns and then just hang out. Sound weird? Well, yeah, that's just kind of how the Christianity goes, okay? Super Bowl is great. I'm going to watch the Super Bowl with people. I also have guys I get together and pray with, right, and read Scripture with. Do you love C.S. Lewis? You know, get whatever. Read Narnia and email five guys and say, I'm going to be doing this anyway. Do you want to do it with me? And we'll get together once a month and talk about how is, how is the gospel uniquely displayed here? How is he highlighting sin? And all of a sudden, what you were already doing, you're now doing it in community, and you'll be amazed how the Spirit will just work and grow you, okay? What are areas that you want to grow? I want to study the Holy Spirit more. I, you know, we're always talking about the Father and the Son. I don't feel like my Holy Spirit knowledge is underdeveloped. Let me email some guys or some ladies and read a book on the Spirit and trace the Spirit in the Scriptures, things like that. Meet together to pray, meet together to read Christian classics, study a book of the Bible together, get together just to read a book of the Bible, have dinner with someone and read Ephesians, okay? Do something like that. Just think about what, what do I want to do, learn, what are things that God is stirring in me, and then bring others in to do that. Find out other people's needs. What are the needs at Parkway? Well, there are 12 trillion kids here. And so every time someone has a kid, meal trains. I mean, what a beautiful display, right? You want to not cook for six weeks? Some of you guys just start up those meal train things, and it's great. People that you've never met bring you food, and it's, I mean, that is a beautiful display of community. We had Harvey two seconds after being here, and again, I was just like, this is great. All these people that have never met me are just bringing us dinner, right? That's the body meeting needs. You hear someone loses a job. You might not know them, but they're a part of your community. How can I help? Just have that intentional impulse, okay? So much of this, again, is just being intentional. And then number three, think through where, what does your life look like? Most of your lives are set. I've got, you know, wake up, go to work kids, whatever, you know, your, your schedule is slammed or I wake up and I'm just keeping kids from murdering one another all day and then making, you know, whatever and think about your life and then how can other people in the same stage join you in that? You're watching kids all day, find other people who are watching kids all day and invite them over and you watch kids together and now you can talk and have community, right? You're working so you only have lunches. Again, take two lunches a month, one a week or something like that and get to know somebody, Ask somebody, hey, you want to meet on Tuesday? And that's your lunch break is getting to know somebody in the church. You go to the park, invite others to the park. You work out, invite others to work out with you. You know, we've got some cyclists here. There's one guy who, you know, says he's a cyclist just because he likes the outfit, right? They can all cycle together and go seven miles an hour on the highway in front of a bunch of cars together. Uh, all my anger is coming out. Uh, okay. So... I'll give you an example. Uh, so I, I love church history. I say that all the time. You guys are like, we get it. Uh, so I was, I was going to read different books throughout church history just on my own, and I sent out an email to a bunch of guys and said, I'm going to be doing this. You want to do it too? And if they all said no, I, cool, I'm still doing it. Nothing's changed with me. But then a bunch of people said yes, and so now we're getting together and reading theology and Irenaeus and Athanasius and Augustine and all these guys, and we're going to be having great conversations, all of that because I had the random idea of, I'll just email people and ask if they want to do this with me. You see how easy that is, right? But get creative. Think about what am I doing already and how can that uh, overlap with other people? And then just be vulnerable and if it crashes and burns, you know, we'll have a meeting, we'll have coffee, I'll, I'll calm you down and we'll try it again, okay? Some of you introverts are like, I will try this once and only once. Like, okay. 
It might not go great the first time, uh, but, it, you know, it, it'll work. So lastly, warning, one final warning as we close. When we think about all of this, uh, the biggest thing we need to hear, especially, again, as evangelicals with a thousand options, is it is not about you. Again, you have been brought in to a family who looks at a Savior who did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The very call of discipleship is pick up your cross and follow me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Remember the Savior that you're following. Remember the community that you've joined if your kind of bar for getting involved is just if someone is as cool as you, I don't think you're ever going to get involved. And most people who come to me and say, I just can't get connected, I would say around 100% of them uh, don't turn around and talk to the person next to them, right? They're just kind of expecting people to do it for them. And if, you know, well, that person doesn't like what I like. Okay, let's, okay, let's start over. Christianity is laying down your life, and so we have those conversations. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer again says this, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become the destroyers of that Christian community. If you view community through a lens lens of what can I get out of this, you will, A, not find Christian community, and you'll probably bring a lot of carnage in the process. Remember who your Savior is. Remember the nature of the gospel that you believe that actually has transformed your heart and enter in, not saying, how can I be served? How can this meet all my needs? But rather, how can I serve? How can I, like my Savior, pour out my life? How can I see everyone that I'm I'm interacting with and want them to love God more? How can I surround myself with people who want me to love God more? How do I enter into a community where when when I'm walking in sin, I know I'm not going to be able to for very long? because people are going to be going after that because they love me and they want me to love my Savior more. Remember the nature of the gospel as we talk about this, as you enter into this community. So let me pray, and we will have some questions. Father, all of this, again, uh, just hearing a teaching can sound rebukey or whatever or strange. Your spirit is the one that has to change our hearts And so I pray that you would, that you would create something here where there's just a flourishing community, not as a result of following rules or anything like that that are passed down from on high, but rather a love, that our love for God would pour out to love for one another, and that we would hunt down sin and kill it, that we would be a people who long for one another to love you more, and we... Uh, surround ourselves with people who are just going to point us to Christ more and more and more. That's something that you have to do in our hearts. So I pray simply that you would, by your spirit, in the name of your son, Jesus, amen.